What could you do in a works car with works back up your leg front? Take it handy and win every rally around. <laughs> <laughs> Bertie Fisher and Andrew Nesbitt have made the 1999 event a classic, as we have already said. Never has so much been provided for so many by so few. Day, the proudest time and the seat of a rally car, because that day and that hour and those minutes, I got the butt between my teeth. You know, I really stood up and was counted and said, this is not getting away. I remember when we pulled on our helmets and, and, and Donald says to me, what are we doing? I said, we're going for gold, Barrett. Welcome along to Crunching Gears, Season 2, Episode 6. In this episode, I'm thrilled to chat to... Roman Morgan. He tells us about his early career and his first time getting paid to co-drive and making it become a career. He then went on to help organise and manage events and switching from uh, rallying to Formula One. It's an absolutely fascinating story. He started off by telling us how he first got involved in the sport. Ah yes, Kevin. Um, I did a lot of night navigation rallies. And, and they, I mean, I would advise anybody getting into the sport, whether they're driving or co-driving or whatever, particularly co-driver navigators, to start off in night navigation rallies. They were fantastic at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were a great way of learning maps and everything else too, because it was, I suppose it was all well, vital. Yeah, maps and just time, speed, distance, you know, to, to get the whole thing into your head and to get a good feeling for, for what, what the sport was all about. And of course, the safety and the regulations involved as well. So mm -hmm. it was a great, a great way to, 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 to cut your teeth on the sport. Mm -hmm. And um, the very, very first person I ever went with was a chap called Paul Waters, a good friend of mine who I worked with in, in Smithfield Motor Company back in the day when I was, I think it was 18 or 19. Paul has since sadly passed away at a young age. <clears throat> but then John Hanlon and myself teamed up and we were like a team for a couple of years and we, were, we, we did very well. As, mm -hmm. as, as driver and navigator in those night navigation rallies and we great fun and we're still great friends today um, mm -hmm. so it's it was a kind of a, a lifelong friendship that started out in the in in, in the sport okay, yeah. and then, then you made the move into stage rally and it was around about 76 with a name that's still synonymous with rallying to this day i suppose <laughs> well <laughs> the stage rallying you might say there was a it was just, you, you know, you cut off one and you went to the other. That uh -huh. wasn't the case. In those days, uh, Kevin, there was there was a couple of rallies, particularly I remember well, the Erlingus Motor Club organised the Jumbo Rally. And then there was another, the Boreen Rally, I think. Um, I'm not sure who organised that, maybe the MEC. But there was, in the, in the Jumbo in particular, you started at maybe um, 10 o'clock at night on a navigation rally. And you went right through till five or six in the morning. And you took a break for breakfast and then you went off and did maybe a half dozen stages in the forests afterwards and you wouldn't fin you'd finish then about midday the following day so that was just an unbelievable event yeah. great fun uh -huh. and to be able to co combine combine the navigation first and then the stages afterwards and right. go right through the night yeah. great fun uh -huh. yeah. so it was a nice uh, introduction into stage rallies mm -hmm. 
little sleep, but then I suppose when you're young like that, you don't mind, do you? You just get no, on. <laughs> but you're, when you talk about l lack of sleep, I was talking to Billy only last week about the old circuit mm -hmm. when we'd start on, on Good Friday, go right through go Good Friday lunchtime about 12 o'clock, mm -hmm. and then go right through the afternoon, evening, night, and then end up down in Killarney on Saturday afternoon. So that was mm -hmm. a full kind of day, night and day out of bed. Uh -huh. eating. Then you'd have the Sunday run in around Killarney. And then on Monday, you go back up north again, back yes. up the West Coast, probably. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, another night out of bed. So you'd start Monday lunchtime and you go right through to Tuesday lunchtime. Yes. So uh, people, when they say that, you, you tell them that now, think you must be off your head to do yes. something like that. <laughs> that's the way it was. As you rightly say, we were young, had the energy. And, uh, and, and the enthusiasm and the adrenaline to keep you going right through those five days. Fantastic event. Uh -huh. Yeah, it must have been uh, that, that, them special days too. Can you think back on the likes of that now, in fairness, you know? So. Very special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great days. So there was uh, another young uh, young friend of yours, I suppose, at the time, Austin McHale. Um, uh -huh. That was yeah. when he was 76 or so, he used to say that to give the stage rally a, a crack then. It was, it was. And Austin and I had great, great fun. Mm -hmm. um, we started out together. We were, of course, young, foolish, and of course, no fear and uh, no sense, really, I suppose, either. <laughs> uh, but, but, but Austin had a great turn of speed, even in, in, in those days when he started out. Mm -hmm. And we had some great fun together, great rallies. And we learned a lot together. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, we came up through the ranks a little bit in that year. And uh, forgive me now, because I'm just looking at the files here. I've got it somewhere. I've got the entry list for the Circuit of Wicklow Rally uh -huh. back in 1976, which yeah. would show uh, Austin and myself seated at number 113. We were late entry for the rally. Yeah. And I think we ended up uh, we ended up third overall on the event. Brilliant. So. You know, ah, yeah, absolutely great uh -huh. days. But the previous night, I remember well, Austin. Uh, we had Austin had this um, escort twin cam. Mm -hmm. I remember the registration number of it. I'm sure Austin and I be the only ones who would remember it. It was MN, MNI eight two eight, and the engine had to be rebuilt the night before. So we actually uh, rebuilt the engine overnight. Uh, got no sleep. I went home to my house, Austin went down back to his house. We both had a shower changed into our overalls and off we went and did the rally. So like for, we imagine being able to actually even build the engine. We yes. had that skill at the time. Uh -huh. uh, we wouldn't be able to build an engine now. No. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, but but that was the type of crack that we had and the type of things we did. Yeah. And again, all that was a huge learning curve mm -hmm. and, and, and a huge, um, how would I say, uh, Huge part of my life and huge, huge, huge fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great, great. As you say, like, can you imagine now two young guys now setting out with like a, a Fiesta R2 or something to rebuild the engine the night before? They just they wouldn't do it, would they? I know, no, you'd be going home. Yeah. Going home early. <laughs> yeah. and, and you probably wouldn't be spending the night preparing the car either. No. For the event. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway. You quickly rose through the, the ranks, like by 78 then, was it, um, you were sitting with Brendan Fagan? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Brendan, 
Ben, Brendan and I became good friends. And um, believe it or not, now Brendan is actually my my brother-in-law. Right. I ended up, I married uh, married Brendan's younger sister. Um, so uh, yeah, so Brendan and I had some great success. Mm-hmm. And Brendan was really he was he was really a great driver at that time and and, and very much on the pace. Mm-hmm. So we did have quite some good some good successes mm-hmm. in an uh, escort BDA really in mm-hmm. the Group Four escort, and then. Brendan changed to a Chevette, yes. two different Chevettes, a Chevette HS first, mm-hmm. and then a Chevette HSR, um, which was supplied by DTV, dealer team Vauxhall in the UK in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And, and you think of that Chevette, like that was the ultimate spec car at that time. You know, that was the, the equivalent to a, a Focus WRC or whatever now, like that was coming straight from the factory, the same as Jimmy McRae or whoever That's was right. driving at the time, you know, so. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was, it was top of the range vehicle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it was great, and again, great fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we good successes in that, and uh, I think that uh, I suppose that introduction and that association with DTV uh, was a, was a stepping stone for me as well in my in my in my career. Mm-hmm. I guess, um, and was it eighty one? Tony Pond, uh, you were asked to sit with Tony for West Cork. That's like that, right. That must have been something else for a young guy coming up through the ranks then. Oh, sure. Just it was like it was like being asked, did you want to go to the moon, you know? Yes. Um, for, for somebody like me. So I remember Jerry Johnston was the manager of DTV at the time who Brendan dealt with. And I remember being in work one day in McCormick McNaught in the Caterpillar dealer. And uh, the phone rang and it was Jerry Johnston on the phone. Mm-hmm. And he said, would you be available to co-drive for Tony in West Cork? And of course, I was, uh, I kind of started to say, Tony who? <laughs> he said, Pond, of course. And I said, would I what? <laughs> so, yeah, I remember, well, I got 500 quid for the gig. Yeah. <laughs> so little did I know, did he know that I'd have given him the 500 <laughs> quid. Yeah, for no opportunity. <laughs> the opportunity. So that was just huge. I mean, for a young a young guy like me at the time, it was just like manna from heaven, you know. Uh-huh. So that was that was really great, and that kind of kick started my professional career, really. Uh-huh. Uh, Five hundred quid. Yeah, and like everybody says, like Tony kind of, but he just would never get over that go left hand drive. He always just wanted to drive right hand, and that kind of held him back. You know, such a shame. It did hold him back. I mean, he was a works driver. He made a good living from 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 the from uh, driving, and he mm-hmm. ended up with a very good relationship with British Leyland. Then mm-hmm. afterwards, at the time, and it was a development driver for them for for a lot of road vehicles and whatever afterwards. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. For some reason, he had this mental block against going left-hand drive, and of course, factories then would not build right-hand drive cars just specifically to to satisfy his needs. Mm-hmm. So it just it did it did uh, uh, stunt his career, mm-hmm. which was a shame because an absolutely fabulous driver, very accomplished, and and actually great crack as well. Good right. fellow. Uh-huh. Yes, and you sat with him again then in '82 in Belgium. Yes, uh, we did the Bukel de Spa rally. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bukel de Spa rally in a Datsun 160J. Right. Yeah. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. run by Andy Dawson yes. at the time. Yeah, he was Mr. So was Datsun great. at that time too, as well. Yeah, he was Mr. Datsun, mm-hmm. the very man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, Buckle Spa, um, great, another great round of the uh, 
Belgian Championship. Mm-hmm. And I remember, well, we didn't finish because we um, were going around the Spa racetrack, actually, which was part of one of the stages. Mm-hmm. And the rear diff locked up solid. Right. And, of course, the car spun completely. We were doing 360s all over the place. And you could just see the barrier coming closer and closer at nighttime. This is the middle of the night. <laughs> and we eventually just came to rest close mm-hmm. to this barrier. But, uh, yeah, nothing else to do. So we found a little cafe that was still open. Went off and had a couple of beers. Yeah, <laughs> good enough. Until Andy Dawson came along and found us. <laughs> yeah. So that was the end of that event. Yes. Just well, but, uh, back to Brendan there again. Like you know, it took quite a, a few ones in national rounds and back here in Ireland and you know yeah. podiums and Donegal and the Ulster and Clarney. Right. And like and like, he was way ahead of his time. Like I remember that wasn't it squeeze orange juice. Like he had, you know, brand names on the car way before Absolutely. that was yeah. <laughs> uh, Brendan was, was was top class at the time. He was mm-hmm. one of the top top drivers in the country. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he did attract and he did good. He did a good commercial brain and still has, mm-hmm. and attracted attracted a lot of, of good quality sponsors, in particular Team P. O'Reilly, who, yeah. who I subsequently went to work for. And mm-hmm. um, so Norbert Riley was a great supporter of Brendan's and a great supporter of mine too. And uh, he had great interest in the sport as well. And in fact, Norbert actually uh, drove Brendan's Chevette HSR one time, and I co-drove for Norbert actually in Donegal rally one year. Right, yes. Brendan was unavailable. He was away somewhere, and, and mm-hmm. Norbert and I went off and did the rally together. Brilliant. So, yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. great day. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then in 82, like another top quality driver come along, Russell Brooks. And, ah, that's right. You know, yeah. Another one in the West Cork for you again. And that went yeah. on then to do a few rounds as a West Euro Cup. I suppose that's probably the equivalent now to the ERC now, would it be? Well, it would be yes, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, uh, yeah. We did, um, we did the Haspengar Rally, mm-hmm. yeah, and then then we did Haspengar Rally. I think we were second, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did Rally Duvar, um, which was in semi in Switzerland and south of France. And an interesting ha- thing happened there. We were leading that rally, and um, we had. A mechanical issue, forget exactly what it was at the end of one of the stages and stopped to fix it. We with a chase car then we stopped to fix it with the chase car, as you did in those days, of course. Um, and we were then in a hurry to get to make time to get to the next stage and hurry on the road section. Mm-hmm. And this was half past seven on a Sunday morning going through a Swiss village and uh, police stopped us. We were speeding and we were, as I say, leading the rally at the time. Mm-hmm. When we got to the lunch hall, the organizers came to see us and they said, we have to withdraw you from the rally because the police said, if we don't take action against you, um, we will, they, will, they will lose the support of the police, which of course is paramount for, for any event. Yes. So that thought is a big lesson. Mm-hmm. So to be excluded for speeding on a rally would be kind of unusual. Yes. But yeah, mm-hmm. but, that was, uh, but that happened us that day. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, with Russell, um, uh, great, great driver on the Lusanda course, as we know, with all his, all his experience here in Ireland, all the mm-hmm. different uh, Irish Tournament Championship events he did. We remember when at that time, some of the events here were rounds of the British Championship. Yes. So mm-hmm. Russell and Jimmy were over quite often mm-hmm. uh, to do the events here. So it was always a big needle between, between Russell and Jimmy at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
Yeah, and then Russell and I went on to do uh, the 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 Rally Finland, which is mm -hmm. the thousand X Rally at the time, and that was eighty two as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we were sixth overall on that rally, uh, and at the time we were the highest placed non Scandinavian drivers mm -hmm. ever to have got that got that far. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, the Scandinavians dominated the event. And of course, to a large extent, to still do. But of course, that mm -hmm. was before people like Saints and McRae and whatever came and Didier Oriel made yeah. it their own then afterwards in later years. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so great event, yeah. marvelous event. I was just looking at the results from that. Like, yes, we're six overall. Like, uh, the, the top 15 were dominated by Scandinavian crews, you know? Like, so that yeah. was. That made that feat even more special to be in the top six. That's right. That's right. It was, yeah. And of course, we did that event on a tiny, tiny budget. Mm -hmm. So there was no budget, not wasn't much budget for accommodation. Right. So what Russell did was he, he got uh, he had a car, we had a Vauxhall Cavalier with a tow bar. <laughs> and we borrowed a caravan. And and we lived in the caravan for about two weeks doing the recce. So we we'd go off, park the caravan somewhere in the middle of the forest, go off. Do the recce that day. Come back, sleep in the caravan that night. Go off, then go buy buy a supermarket or whatever. Buy more food for for cooking that night, and we cook for ourselves and whatever. So that's the way we did it. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, but it was it was a good way to do it. Yes, I remember we actually had them. Um, we'd use of Hannah Mikola's summer house for a couple of nights. Uh -huh. so, yeah, so uh, he was very welcoming yes. to us up there. That was brilliant. <laughs> Aye. So, and then 1984, the partnership with the legendary Billy Coleman started up. How did um, that come about for you? I tell you how that came about. In 1983, I was actually with John Weatherly in Citroen, uh, Citroen UK, had a contract there, uh, and which was good for the British Championship. Mm -hmm. And John and I um, did well in this uh, little Citroen visa. Um, However, the uh, again we had a con I'd assigned another contract with Citroen UK to still continue doing the British Championship in 1984. Now, of course, the Circuit of Ireland was around at the British Championship uh, in, in in those years, mm -hmm. and in the meantime, Billy came on the scene to um, with with Dealer Opel Team Ireland with the Opel Manta. Mm -hmm. to do the Irish Tarmac Championship. So Billy and I teamed up to do Galway, which was in February. Right, yes. And uh, in fact, we came second because Brendan won the rally. Mm -hmm. um, Billy and I were second. And then, of course, uh, Billy was doing the full championship. So the next round was the Circuit of Ireland. Okay. And I couldn't go. So basically, my drive with Billy was only was a once-off. To do to do Galway only, and as I say, mm -hmm. successful event. But uh, yeah, so I couldn't do uh, the circuit with them because of my contract with Citroen UK. Mm -hmm. So lo and behold, um, John Weatherly was testing the Citroen visa maybe ten days or so before the circuit, testing it for the circuit. Um, I wasn't there on the test. Uh, somebody else was in the car with him, and he rolled the car. Oh. on the test and okay. destroyed it yeah mm -hmm. and they realized they couldn't repair it and they actually pulled the plug all oh, right on, yeah so they pulled the plug on him going to uh, 
going to uh, the Circuit of Ireland. Mm-hmm. So I remember, um, I remember well, the kind of rumor was out then that I was available. Mm-hmm. And I think Michael O'Carroll actually had, had, had the rumor first that I would be available before Biddy and I even spoke. Yeah, so Michael was always always on the case first yes. with the news, you know. Mm-hmm. So so that's how the how we started off. Then we we mm-hmm. said, right, great. We we got together again for the circuit, mm-hmm. and then you know, that was the start of a very important historical part of my life of my career. Yeah, and, and like, on, really uh, what a way to start like second go, and then the circuit. Yes, one that year, like that's right. One of those, you know, we talked about earlier there. Five days, you know, day and night, it was bonkers, like probably 60-something stages. That's right. That's right, yeah. And funny enough, I'm sitting here in my office, and and up there is the most special trophy I have, which is the Circuit of Ireland, my first ever international win in 1984, then with Billy and many other FIA Uh trophies, but they're over there somewhere else. Uh Um, Yeah, but yeah, it was was a great way to start to, to, how would I say, to... uh, you know, to get that victory after those five hard days, which I just described mm-hmm. at the start of the interview, the, the five really long days. And that was when the circuit was really the circuit. In fact, it was the last year. It was the real full circuit that went down mm-hmm. to Killarney and back again. The following year, 85, we went to down, up and down to Waterford. Okay. Um, but uh, the last real full circuit would have been 1984. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, you know, when you get to the end of that, is it elation, is it exhaustion, or what is it, you know, how do you feel by the end? Uh, you have so much adrenaline pumping through your veins, it's no exhaustion. No. You know, it's just absolute <laughs> uh-huh. elation when you realise you, you, you're going to get there. And then it just, yeah, it, mm-hmm. maybe the next day you just get, you, you, the, the tiredness creeps in. But sure, as I say, in fact, it didn't, didn't creep in um, because the next day uh, I went off to Madeira. Right. To yes. Do, to do uh, an event with John Woodner. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So there was no rest. Uh-huh. No rest. I went straight from one event to the other. So, but that was that was kind of normal enough in those days, you know. And like, what an, an event, and what are like, and, and what a car to do, and Alancia 037. Yeah, you're talking about uh, yeah Madeira Rally 84 mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Amazing to be able to have the opportunity. To, to to actually sit in one of these um, mm-hmm. Lancia 037s at the time, like they were the ultimate car. Yes. They were absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but John and I didn't finish that rally. Um, we had, were sitting at this finish line of, of a stage and it was downhill and John kept his foot on the brakes, which were, which were very hot and the brake fluid boiled. And on the road section, the liaison section, on a very, never forget, it was a mountainous road section. Uh, we're going around a right-hand bend and they put his foot on the brakes and the, uh, the car wouldn't stop. And we went straight into the, a very low wall and uh, destroyed the front of the car. So we routed the rally, but when we got out of the car and looked over the side of the mountain, there was just a sheer drop on the <laughs> other side. I'm glad we didn't hit the car. I yes. didn't hit the wall with any, mm-hmm. uh, any greater pace than that. Yes. But yeah, good experience. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, great, great chap. That was the one and only time John and I did a rally together. Mm-hmm. Um, and John was was a, was a great character in the sense that his uh, he part of the Woodner dynasty. 
Okay. Lovely fella. Um, mm -hmm. His father was absolutely uh, uh, incredibly wealthy. Right. They owned, they owned real estate in Washington. Okay. And uh, the father wanted John to come and work in the business, and John didn't want to. John was just a, you know, the the ultimate playboy. Yes. And he just wanted to <laughs> bum around the world and do rallies and do anything. <laughs> anything that was dangerous, John did. Yes. <laughs> and, and sadly, it caught up with him in later life because oh. he, yeah, because one of the things he started doing was um, stunt flying, flying right. stunt planes. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, he he was flying the stunt, doing the stunt one day and drove the the aircraft straight into the ground and, and one was killed. So yeah, it caught up with him in the end, mm. but uh, but great chap. Yes. Mm -hmm. Great guy and great memories. Mm -hmm. And then coming back to Ireland then that year, then back with Valley then, you had ones in Donegal, Cork and Killarney, like almost the perfect year. It was, it was almost the perfect year. Yeah, mm -hmm. it really was. Um, yeah, it was great. Yeah, we worked hard at it. Mm -hmm. uh, and clearly we, we developed a very good uh, working relationship inside the car which mm -hmm. is hugely important for, for a driver and co-driver to, to absolutely understand each other, trust each other and to uh, I suppose you know get the best for each other and it worked really well, we gelled well and um, as I say we worked hard at, at it during the year and it, it uh, gave us the results we needed. Yeah, and it gave Billy like a new lease of life because like it almost kind of retired towards the end of 82, 83, hasn't it? It cut way back in the events he was doing. So oh yeah. I mean for me to co-drive for Billy, it was like, you know, it's like getting that phone call about co-driving for Tony Pond because yes. Billy, Billy is Billy is eight years older than me. So, you know, when I was kind of coming on the scene with the rallies or whatever, Billy was one of my heroes. Yes. So, and always was, I mean, he, he achieved so much at a young age, um, winning the British British Championship and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so he was, you know, I followed him avidly and was a huge admirer of his. Mm -hmm. And then to end up being uh, co-driving you and doing so much with one of your heroes was the ultimate for me. Yes. So we had, uh, as I say, we've got a very good relationship to this day. Brilliant, brilliant. And like, to show the level you were at then, 85, um, I spoke at Now's Pro Drive, but it was Dave Richards' rally team, uh, Rothman's Porsche for 85. You know, to have that level of uh, team coming to Ireland to compete in the Tarmac Championship was, it was brilliant in its day, wasn't it? Well, it was. I mean, that came about with the vision of William Morrison, who was the brand manager for Rothman's in PJ Carroll's at the time. Okay. And, uh, you know, Rothman's were involved in rallying before that, mm -hmm. um, not in Ireland, but 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 elsewhere. Yeah. And um, of course, um, Rothman sponsored the Circuit of Ireland. Actually, the year we won it in 1984, mm -hmm. they, had, they, they had sponsored the rally at that time. And then they decided to go one step further rather than just sponsoring, the, sponsoring one event to actually bring a team, bring their own team to Ireland. And uh, they approached Billy and uh, yeah, and that's how it started. And that started a fabulous relationship with Rothmans here. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, as I say, William was the was the ringmaster for the whole lot, and mm -hmm. he contracted um, uh, with with ProDrive with David Richards, who was DOR Autosport at the time, mm -hmm. um, to supply the the nine eleven Porsches. Mm. Uh, so that was just a gorgeous, gorgeous car. Yeah, gorgeous on the outside for Billy. I'm sure it was, it was quite a difficult car to drive, but mm -hmm. uh, 
and he certainly got the most out of it. Yeah, he could make it sing. Like, we're just thinking of like, Donegal 85. Like, he lost whatever it was, two minutes between wee niggles and then a puncture and one thing and all. But then That's lunchtime right. on the Saturday, something just seemed to click. And it's it said that that was probably one of Billy's finest ever drives to come back then. And just... Yeah. Mm -hmm. and that was. I mean, when when the chips were down, he could always find the extra the extra bit to 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 really uh, make the car work. Billy had a marvelous understanding of cars and a marvelous uh, mechanical sympathy, and that's what made him very successful. He knew how to get the best out of the car without overstretching it, mm -hmm. and very seldom would he put a mark on a car. Yeah. So. You know, he just had that natural ability to 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 do the best he possibly could with whatever machinery he had at the time, mm -hmm. and could drive around a problem. A lot of a lot of drivers, and you see them, I mean, with many drivers who, once something goes wrong and the car is not absolutely perfect, won't drive around the issue and won't be able to manage the car properly. Right. Mm -hmm. But he would just wring the neck out of it to the the nth the nth degree. Mm -hmm. And also, like if we got about was uh, tour de course. Uh, a few That's right. before Donegal like to go there and be on the pace of the WRC regulars yes I know there was like Lindsay withdrew you know but even before that you yes, were you know yes, we're still in the you know top five six setting very competitive times and like we talk about you know I think there was you know I think 40 something stages someone 50 kilometers long um, it was uh, that was a serious rally to come away there from fourth overall to finish it was a fantastic result Yes, it was. Um, that particular rally was uh, was overshadowed by the death of um, of Attilio Bettiga. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was killed in a Lancia on the first few stages, and then then uh, Lancia pulled out for the rest of the event. But I recall the one particular stage that you're talking about coming down the west coast of the island of Corsica. Um, it was an incredibly long stage. In fact. One of the stages was actually 80 Ks. Yeah, it was just a marathon stage right uh -huh. down just on that. And Corsica, as you probably know, is incredibly twisty. So the, the effort to kind of navigate your way to make sure you're on the, the correct pace notes all the time, mm -hmm. it takes a massive effort. Yeah. But worse again, there was fog on the stage. Right. And the fog was very dense in places. So to kind of have keep the concentration to try and keep up the speed and it's very difficult for for um, any of us who've driven in fog on a stage you never know if you're on the pace or not because clearly you don't know if other people are getting a better advantage than you if the fog is worse or, or better for them mm -hmm. and what you can see and what chances you take and how accurate your pace notes are and to try and get on the right pace is incredibly difficult so, yeah, I mean, when we got to the end of that, I remember we were both absolutely drained uh, with exhaustion, or just uh, apprehension, mm -hmm. and so, so happy to get to the end of that stage. So a lot of pers perspiration, a lot of, a lot of um, effort w um, w went into that stage. From both sides of the car, you know. And, like, you know, again, to show the level that Rolling was at in the mid 80s, RTE sent a film crew over to follow you for the weekend as well. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, you know, like that, you know, would be unheard of now, like as well. So it just shows you, yes. you forget how, like, high up rallying was thought of at the time. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, it was particularly for around the circuit of Ireland, the amount of, I suppose, publicity that was generated. Um, and Rothmans were very instrumental in this, in bringing that to the party. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Kevin, we forget how high profile our sport was in the country at that time and the huge cult following that we had and how, I suppose, mainstream, mainstream sport mm-hmm. and it was at the time. So it was just, it was marvellous to be part of that era. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we, 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 you know, we skip forward a year now to the circuit of Ireland in 86. You're back, you know, you're back there with Rotham's team. But on the Late Late Show, you know, the biggest show in the country, like mm. probably two thirds of the population tuned in on a Friday night to watch the Late Late Show. And who comes on? Ronan Morgan and Billy Coleman, you know? Fantastic. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it was very funny, actually. Um, that was during the recce for the circuit, yeah? Uh-huh. Um, I'm hearing the late late was on a Saturday night. Yeah. Saturday night, sorry, yeah. Oh, whenever, whenever, I don't uh-huh. know. Yeah. But I think it was Saturday night. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, and of course, that was in the days of, of pre-mobile phones. Mm-hmm. So Billy and I were off doing our own thing in a, in a road-going uh, 9-11 Carrera, um, doing, the, doing the reconnaissance. And then we, we, we finished in the north and we came back down over the border uh, to, uh, to, to do some stages in the south, to do some reconnaissance stage in the south. And we were stopped by the, the Gardaí at the border who, had, who were uh, given instructions to keep an eye out for us. And it was them who delivered the message to us, you get down to Dublin straight away, call William Morrison because you're both on the Lake Late Show tonight. That's how it happened. We didn't know. But this is about like four o'clock in the afternoon. So we had to race down the road and change into our, our, our blazers and shirts and ties and whatever, and uh-huh. into the studio and away we went, you know. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. That was the communication at the time. Yeah. And like, Billy, like, he was a brilliant driver, but he, he kind of shone away from the limelight. You know, a lot of the times, even in service, you were the one doing the talking, you know, he felt he must have been uncomfortable doing that now going on to Late Late. Ah, yes, he, he, yeah, he, he, didn't, he wasn't looking forward to that at all, no. yeah, <laughs> you have to do this, but anyway, yeah. look, it is what it is and it worked out well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, then later in um, 86 years, moved into the Metro, like, I'm, now, I'm a huge Metro oh. fan, I have to admit, but like, what a car. Yes, of course, you know, a huge, huge, a quick Group B cars. It was a pleasure to be in a Group B car on, on you know, until the time that they were banned. Mm-hmm. Um, massively powerful, four-wheel drive, uh, short wheelbase though, so they, they'd swap around, swap ends quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, great, great car. Yes. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, Donegal that year, first time sitting in the car. I think Billy had only a very small mileage, you know, up to the event. In the car right. and to come away with a one again just shows the natural talent of the guy. First time driving a four wheel drive car, first time, sure. you know, you know, just to swap over back into right hand drive after driving left hand drive for a couple of years, just natural. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, yeah. And again, you're right, Kevin, there was very little preparation, very little testing available to us at the time. The car was late coming, so yeah, so it was great. I mean, mm-hmm. the way that he could just adapt and and get the best out of, out of the vehicle. Yeah, it's just uh, so then you know, '87 was continued with the Rothmans then, but Group B had was banned. The BMW M3 was coming along. Fair to say, it probably wasn't very well developed for Ireland at the time. That's a difficult year for you. Yes, yes, it was a difficult year. 
Um, it wasn't great. Uh, the car, um, I remember something very odd happened us in, in the circuit again that year when the, the BMW M3 um, going across one of the stages, one of the mountains, I forget which stage it was in the north, and the car stopped. Okay. Just stopped stone dead. And our teammate uh, was Mark Dewey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the time. And he, driving a sister BMW M3, and his car stopped about uh, 500 meters up the same road. And they had no idea what some electrical fault uh, happened in both cars. Uh -huh. and, uh, yeah, both both came to a halt at that time. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Um, it wasn't wasn't very good for uh, developed for certainly the Irish roads. Bernard Bega in the French Championship uh, really had it sorted for that. It was mm -hmm. a you know, much different spec and much different type of car than we had, and it, it kind of suited more a kind of a race style than a rally style. Mm -hmm. And of course, the French roads were much much smoother and uh, uh, forgiving mm -hmm. than the Irish lanes. So yeah, so we never really, never really kind of got around the, uh, the, the, the setup for an Irish tarmac rally. Yeah. Um, now, you'd already at this stage then started to spread your wings and you'd want to the, the Middle East, but we'll come back to that. But by 89, uh, Mark Lovell and the works, Andrew Heat for Hire, Sarah, to start yes. off the year, you started off with the uh, Mobile One Challenge. That yes. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was an amazing event. That was an event way before its time. Mm -hmm. um, I should even go back a few years earlier to the Yogavana okay. Rally Sprint, which right. was an event that was way, 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 way before its time. But we can talk about that later. Mm -hmm. But that Mobile One Rally ch Challenge um, was uh, uh, a great event. It was never repeated afterwards. And I don't know why, because it had a great uh, recipe it was basically um, uh, I think six different works vehicles, mm -hmm. the six top vehicles, the top top cars at the time, Audi Quattro, Sierra, Sierra Cosworths. Um, there was an, an Opals there as well. Yeah, the uh, uh, Celica wasn't there as well. I think. Celica, that's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they were all supplied and, and the top drivers, including Stig Blomqvist at the time and Malcolm Wilson and David Llewellyn, and we all drove each other's cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was a it was a marvelous uh, a, a marvelous format yeah. uh, because we went we did uh, we did um, for forestry stages, we mm -hmm. did some tarmac stages in the Isle of Man, and um, uh, I can't we 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 up to Scotland as well. So we were all over the UK yeah. and the Isle of Man, mm -hmm. actually competing in this over a period of about six days. And uh, it was just fantastic, made for television. Yeah. Um, but again, this was in 1988. Mm -hmm. So if you were to repeat that again, it would be just an amazing format with top drivers and top cars and everybody mm -hmm. driving each other's car. Yes. And then competing for a shootout, mm -hmm. uh, which was, I think, Blomqvist won in the end, actually. Yeah, there, there was only one or two seconds between you. You were second. And like, I think it was only like something like 12 or 15 seconds covered the, the entire field. It was like... And again, mainstream TV, Saturday afternoon, grandstand, you know, yeah. that was, you know, you were tuning in to watch your Liverpool Man United game or whatever. This was on, you know, in the midst of all this as well. That's right. You have a better memory than I have, Kevin. 
Yeah. Sad, I know. <laughs> no, but, 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 no, no, but it was good. It was a real close competition. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and Mark was another one of those hugely talented drivers that probably never got the the, the credit he fully deserved either. You know, so you know, true. Very fast and tar. Very fast, very quick, and again, lovely, lovely man. But Mark sometimes was his own worst enemy. Okay. That he wouldn't, he, wouldn't uh, he would tell tell the management what he thought right. in no certain <laughs> terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he didn't he didn't uh, suffer fools easily, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, incredibly talented on tarmac, yeah. and again a pleasure to be with and we uh, we we became very good friends, mm-hmm. and of course, um, sadly Mas, Mark passed away um, in in a rally in the states with with Roger Freeman mm-hmm. um, in a Subaru when they they hit a tree on a stage, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, it was a real. It was really sad to see to 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 see that that mm-hmm. that uh, at that time it was it was it was a, a really black day for all of us. Oh, it must have been yeah. passed away. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he, yeah. He, he, he's, he's such a lovely man. Just such, you know, as you say, maybe his own worst enemy at times, but behind the wheel, it was there were few you could compare to him. You know, to come to the likes of Donegal for the first time, Galway, and the, you know, at, at that time we're seen as very specialised. And come away and won the rallies, you know. So it yeah. just shows the mark of them, you know. So, um, yeah, we had a great, very successful year. Mm-hmm. And I'm even thinking, you know, the, the Manx that year, you said he always kind of was kind of quite happy to give two fingers to 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 management and that to do it in such a public way. And the Manx <laughs> probably didn't probably wrinkled a few <laughs> at the time too. Yeah, I mean, the story behind that was um, again Russell Brooks was in. We were both in the Andrews Heat for Hire. Um, Fort Sierra Cosworths. And of course, Russell had brought the Andrew sponsorship to Ford okay. for, th- for those two cars for the for the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, we were leading the rally. We were leading the Manx um, going into the last couple of stages. And we were told then by Ford, uh, by Peter Ashcroft at the time, to swap places and let Russell win uh, because Russell went on to win the British championship because of that. Okay. Uh, simply because Russell had brought the funding to the mm-hmm. team, yeah. So, uh, of course, uh, Mark was absolutely livid about this being told to back off, as any driver would, yes. and as any competitor would, which is un- understandable. Uh-huh. But we were there in the service park uh, before we left for the for the penultimate stage, and uh, Barry Hinchliffe, the famous Barry Hinchliffe, yes. was the, the if, if, um, filming for BBC at the time. Mm-hmm. And Barry, of course, did all the great the great rally movies over the years. And uh, Mark told Barry what we do. And Barry said, right, I'll be on this particular hairpin bend towards the end of the stage. Right. So we knew we knew where the camera would be. Yes. And that's where we purposely pulled in to let uh-huh. Russell through. Yes. And of course, it was all caught on camera then, you know. Uh-huh. So things like that didn't didn't <laughs> didn't do Mark's career much good, you know. No. <laughs> but uh, um, but we, we we great laugh. Yes. Great laugh. <laughs> yeah. And then 1990, you had a one-off sitting back with the Pro Drive team again, um, with Formula One star Derek Warwick and the the Subaru Legacy. That's right. You know, That's these, right. you know, th- around that time, you know, likes of Martin Brundle, uh, Derek Bell, these guys all done the RAC, you know, some with more success than others. How did that go for you? It was hilarious. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'd never met uh, Derek before, before this. So we were invited over to um, 
to David Richards, David and Karen's house, um, and stayed the night before we went off and did the recce mm-hmm. um, uh, to, to, to do the RAC Rally GB at the time, uh, as you rightly say. In, um, so anyway, I met Derek, and um, Derek and I still laugh about this to this day, <laughs> uh, because Derek is, a, is now a Formula One steward. Okay, so, right. so, so we do come across. Ah, yeah, uh, yeah we are, our past still, still cross, yeah, still cross, yeah. So anyway, um, Derek arrives up to 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 stay the, stay the night in in the Richards house, mm-hmm. and I pitched up as well with all all my gear, you know, for the for the recce, for the rally, and the overalls and the helmets and the clothing and whatever, yeah. So Derek pitches up, and. Um, we leave for the for the uh, start the recce the next day, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so the team pitched up at, at the house with the car, the van, the whole lot, the recce car, van, everything. So I put all my gear into the van, and uh, then Derek comes out with this little overnight bag, yeah. And I said, um, "Where's the rest of your gear?" He said, "Well, this is it." I said, um, "When do you think you're going home?" He said, uh, I'll probably go home tonight. I said, hang on a second, pal. We're now starting a recce for this rally, right? The rally takes place in two weeks' time. We have a 10-day recce to do before the rally, and we're not going home. We're, we're here for the next two and a half weeks together. And we do this. I said, nobody told me that. He said, I'm a Formula 1 driver. He said, I thought I was just going to test this car for today. And that's it. And put the car. I said, I said, did anybody tell you about the recce for the rally? No. So he didn't have a clue. No. So we had to go off and we had to buy him clothes and get bits and pieces. to phone his missus, tell her he wouldn't be home for two and a half weeks. And oh, it was a disaster. Start off. But we just laughed our heads off. And I just kept saying to him, I can't believe anybody could be so stupid. You know? And we just, and then we wound him up all the way around during the, during the, um, the recce of course then I the lads would I tell all the different lads you know um Malcolm and Ian Grindrod who were together at the time and yes. David Llewellyn and Phil Short and we'd all meet up in the evening time and we'd kind of say right what's the wind up today on Derek <laughs> you know because he just didn't know anything about the sport he really knew nothing about the sport for a guy who was involved at the top level in yeah. one end of the sport uh-huh. and nobody had the other sport operated yes so uh, yeah, so we just had one huge laugh after the other. Uh-huh. But um, then we got to the rally, and he was he was he was on it. He was on the pace. Yes, he was he was very good uh-huh. and well committed. Yeah, uh-huh. um, and then just unfortunately we went off the we went off the slid off the track. To this day, he blames me because he said he couldn't understand my accent. You know? <laughs> yeah, so he reckons he blames me for calling the wrong note. Was uh-huh. we had done the recce, yes. but. But he blames me for calling the wrong note that he couldn't understand me. <laughs> we went off the side of the track and just hit a culvert and then kind of destroyed the car, really. Okay. But, uh, but it was the funniest rally I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds so, like a good, a good, a so, good couple of weeks, don't it? <laughs> a good couple of weeks. And we both, we both still have great laughs over yes. it. <laughs> So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll skip backwards now, I suppose, uh, back to yeah. the uh, 87. Um, uh-huh. You were still with Billy at this stage, but you got the call right. then to go out to the Middle East to co-drive with Saheed Ahadjuri in the, the Porsche. Yes, that's right. Again, it was David It was David Richards who, who asked me would I go down there and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, uh, Rothmans were 
sponsoring Said Al Hajri in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and um, uh, ProDrive were were supplying the car. Okay. Yes. And and running running the car out there. Mm-hmm. So whatever reason, um, David asked me would I go down there. And that started off my career in the Middle East. In yes. fact, my first event there was actually mid-86. Okay. As well, yeah. And then I did Dubai Radian, the end of 86, mm-hmm. with, with Side. And that started off. So the next year, I kind of fitted in the Middle East Championship and the Irish Tarmac Championship at the same time. They mm-hmm. were lucky the events didn't mm-hmm. coincide. I think one event, I think Galway coincided with the Qatar Rally, so I didn't do Qatar. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the rest of the events didn't coincide, so I did two championships in the one year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's quite busy. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of '87, you switched over to the Mohammed bin Salim t- team. Yeah. Sorry, was that a bit like going from Man United to Liverpool, like going from Rothmans to Liverpool, to Marlborough or whatever? It was, it was, yeah. It was really <laughs> kind of yeah, <laughs> taking the cigarette money. Yeah. But uh, no, it was it was a natural progression, really, because I think. As far as I recall, Rothmans were were pulling out at the end of that year, okay. at the end of '87, out of the Middle East, right. and uh, then I became close with uh, with Mohammed bin Salem. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, uh, my great friend Sean O'Connor, who were still um, great friends to this day, uh, was the Marlborough man. He was the um, in charge of the Marlborough. Um, uh, marketing team for the Middle East at the time. So, Sean from Dublin. We hadn't, we didn't meet each other until we until until we were both out in the Middle East together. Right. So yeah, and then Sean was uh, orchestrating all Mohammed's contract and Mohammed's deal. Mm-hmm. So then it kind of became a natural progression that if the month the Rothmans uh, uh, term was coming to a finish, and then I ended up with uh, with Mohammed in the start of 1988. Yeah. And what a partnership it turned out to be. And like, you know, you just look yeah. at, you know, some of the cars that uh, uh, Tilt the you know, the, the last of the Group B ones, and then into, you know, work Subarus, uh, uh, Focuses, Escorts, WRCs, like, and all proper, proper cars run by TTE, M Sport, ProDrive, right. whatever at the time, you know, like the Middle East at that, you know, was phenomenal, the cars they had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the Middle East Championship was was it was it was very competitive at the time between between Mohammed and Said. They were uh-huh. both great drivers, and uh, and a huge how would I say uh, rivalry between them. A bit like the Coleman McHale rivalry at, at, yes. at in Ireland at the uh-huh. time as well. So yeah, um, so I was very fortunate in my career in the Middle East. And that kind of really launched me into a different phase with Mohammed. Mm-hmm. Um, we went on to win 10 Middle East championships together. Mohammed won 14 in total. I won 10 of them, mm-hmm. 10 of them with him. Uh, I think I won 54 events down there in total okay. over the years. Okay. But uh, yeah, it was really good. And you rightly say, with some great machinery from the, the Group B Toyota Celica. Um, working up to Group A, Salikas, and so on, and then various other machinery after that. Mm-hmm. And then with M Sport for a while with the forwards. And yeah, so it was really great, great, great fun. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and as well as doing the, the Middle East Championship, you know, you've doubled in a few rounds of the World Championship as well. 
Um, yeah. Done the production cup and and then group uh, group A and World Rally Car too. So the the guy had a lot of talent too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. lots of talent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, lots of talent. And we were very fortunate. We did many World Championship events, as you rightly say, um, mainly in Group N cars mm -hmm. at the time. Um, so it was it was huge experience for us. I mean, we did events in Australia, New Zealand, Argentina. Um, so it was great great to to just to be out there in those early days mm -hmm. um, to, to, to kind of sample and, and, and to find out what all these events were like. And we realized we were actually quite competitive against the rest. Mm -hmm. So it was good. Yeah. And this taste of the, the WRC give you ideas that could this, could we bring this to Ireland? Um, and was it 2000 foot and mouth was rampant here and Rollin was practically non-existent. So you pulled together the Punchestown Masters. Was, That's right. Was, was this, was the germs of Rally Ireland already in your head at this stage? Was this the, the first step or was this just a... Um, not particularly, but, but uh, I mean, the event, Punchestown event, we, we, ran, we ran three of them in total and they were, oh, they were just marvellous success. Some were, some were better than others. Um, but the Punchestown format was a great format. Um, uh, Punchestown Racecourse Management, great, great people to deal with. They were in trouble um, with uh, the surface of their ambulance track around the race, race course. And they hadn't had racing there for some time because they just simply couldn't bring the, the track up to spec for an ambulance to go around it. It was way too rough, full of potholes or whatever. And fair play to Austin, and Austin came along and said, right, okay, we'll, we, we, we'll help out here. And Austin, Michael and myself, we got uh, uh, the shovels out one day. So <laughs> Austin got uh, uh, a Tarn McCallum company in to, to lay the whole track. Right. And he, he did an amazing job, yes. absolutely amazing. And didn't get the proper credit he deserved for that. Mm -hmm. But uh, literally, we had the shovels there one day. The two of us are trying to trying to help to 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 scrape out the tarmac and onto the onto yeah. the track. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was a great shot in the arm for Punchestown. They really appreciated that. Um, I would then rent the track from them, and that started off that Punchestown rally sprint. When, of course, as you rightly say, with foot and mouth, there was no there was no uh, uh, talk of going off with people gone around the country to rallies, mm -hmm. but yet they could come to a single venue. Yes. So being a single venue event, it was just great. Mm -hmm. But the most successful uh, time we ever had there was when we had Colin McRae yes. uh, come to visit the event in his uh, Ford Focus. Mm -hmm. um, we had, we were completely over, overwhelmed with people, with spectators, um, swamped everywhere. There was traffic jams for for maybe five to 10 kilometers on all, from all sides trying to come get into uh -huh. the event. Yes. <clears throat> so we had a bumper attendance. It was really great. Colin put on a fabulous show. Yeah. Um, and he really enjoyed himself immensely. Mm -hmm. I remember where he got going in Dermot Carnegie's rally car. I was just, car, just, <laughs> just about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say that. Yeah. Um, so I asked Dermot, uh, uh, said, would would you mind if if Colin drove your car? And Mr. Dermot said, yeah, 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 no problem. And then Colin said he was sitting in the car. I said, well, look, who will I put in the car? Who will come with me? He said, will you come with me? I said, no way. I said, I've no interest in going with you now because I've enough to do without getting into the car with you. Mm -hmm. So I said, 
let's get the owner of the car to sit in the car with you. Yes. So I said to Dermot, will you go? And Dermot said, okay. Right. So Dermot was never so scared in all his life <laughs> in his own car. And Dermot is, as you know, is a brilliant driver and has yes. been for so many years and had us had an amazing career. But uh, Dermot couldn't believe that Colin was up a gear everywhere that Dermot would have been, you know, and he just, uh, and was, you know, gone, gone through, uh, gone through one of the gates and uh, around the race course at one of the cattle grids completely sideways and just got it straightened up in time to squeeze through the gate and uh, turned over to Dermot and said, I, I didn't, I thought, you, I, I'm sure you didn't think we'd make that one. <laughs> and again, pulling another gear to go quicker and quicker around the track. So Dermot had a ball and, yes. uh, and uh, um, Colin had the taste of a 600 horsepower focus as to, opposed to his own 300 horsepower yes. uh -huh. car. Uh -huh. yeah, so, so good days. Yes. And like, days. Was it a hard sell to M Sport or Subaru or whatever to get them to bring the car over for the that one-day format thing? Well, um, I can't remember how I pulled it off, actually. Um, it was... Uh, it was difficult enough, but of course, I had help from Ford Ireland and then particularly then from Subaru Ireland to get Richard Burns over in, in that Subaru. So um, really good people in Subaru Ireland at the time. Okay. And, and again, Ford as well. So they all came to the party and they realized that it was an opportunity for them and to, to, to I suppose, lean on the main teams to send over the drivers and cars. Okay, yes. Mm -hmm. So like skip forward again now a few years rally ireland started to take shape um that's right you know this was like a vision obviously you and a, your small team at, obviously at the start of the small team had this that ireland deserved to be on the world stage yeah true and um, it wasn't really um it didn't really come from us it actually came from falcher ireland oh okay falcher ireland were were the first people to recognize that, that there could be, there would be a benefit or could be a benefit in attracting a round of the World Valley Championship to Ireland. Um, I recall that they were um, uh, at, uh, uh, um, I forget the name of the exhibition, but however, they contacted ISC um, at the time, who were the rights holders for the World Valley Championship. Okay. And of course, the man in control of ISC was my good friend, William Morrison from the Rothman days. <laughs> yeah. So the wheel came full circle again, um, and Fulcher Ireland said, "Like we we would look at look at maybe bringing something to Ireland." So mm -hmm. William called me and said, "Look, would you would you maybe speak to these people?" And that's how that started. So it was really their brainchild initially, uh -huh. um, and which turned out to be really a very clever move uh, for them. And of course, they quickly realised that it was a vast project and mm -hmm. couldn't do it on their own. So that's when the idea came to incorporate Northern Ireland and get Southern Ireland and Republic together yes. to co-fund the event mm -hmm. and then split the event 50-50 between us. So then Sean O'Connor and I, again, my friend Sean from the Middle East, mm -hmm. we got together um, to, to co-promote the event. And that started off a five-year project right. to actually bring the event to Ireland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was it was speaks for itself in the success that it was absolutely, when it came here in two thousand and seven. Mm -hmm. But so, like, you know that very first uh, candidate event, you run one day gravel, one day tar. Was that 
in your thought process that this could be a gore down the line or is it just to show we can do this or what was the, the thought? It was, it was absolutely to show the FIA that we could run on either surface. Okay. And it was a great success, mm -hmm. um, that, that particular candidate event. Uh, in fact, Matthew Wilson, Malcolm's son, actually won that event. Yeah, that's right. That yeah. very first candidate event. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so we ran one day, the first day on tarmac and the second day on gravel. And again, the FIA observer was well impressed to see that we could run on either surface. But of course, um, we wanted to make sure that there was no no wriggle room for the FIA to say, oh, look, we've got too many tarmac events. We should have gravel or yes. vice versa. Okay. So we said, <clears throat> there we are. We can now prove we can run on either surface mm -hmm. and, and, you know, step up to the mark and, and give us the give us the slot. Mm -hmm. And of course, the slot to enter into the World Valley Championship at the time was really, really competitive. Yeah. It was very difficult to, to grab a slot in that championship because the championship at the time and probably still is is seen to be too northern european or european focused yes and they did want other i suppose broader um a broader reach for the championship at the time but the way we sold it and particularly it was sean's brainchild about it being more a political event okay um, unifying you know on the back of the good friday agreement mm -hmm. to to show that we could do run cross-border events very successfully Mm -hmm. and the cooperation that it would it would generate in communities and of course with the economic and social benefit that would also generate for both for north and south mm -hmm. so that's how the the rally was based on that yes and and of course on uh, tv exposure so again it was marketed very well it wasn't just a rally it was a real um, marketing platform on which the rally was based and the, politically you know you're saying like you know you had uh, peter hayne uh, from you know he was the uh, secretary of state for northern ireland and then mark mcsherry sure. and sligo two guys sure. that seemed to you know pull in behind what your vision was and supported it all along the way like i have visions of peter hayne sitting with billy doing double o and one of the candidate events um, Mark McSherry to this day is still seeing these Raleigh Ireland jacket, you know, on the, he's been on the news there, I think it was something maybe over Christmas, he still has his Raleigh Ireland jacket on. So these two guys politically were a great help to you. Ah, oh, they were just amazing. I mean, without without both of them, the, the, the event wouldn't have happened. It's mm -hmm. as simple as that. Yeah. Um, Mark, of course, being from Sligo, was hugely supportive because the event, the event was 50% based in Sligo. And of course, fifty percent based in, in in the north. So both of them really pulled together very well um, to to make it happen. Um, but Peter Hayne, I knew from I knew previously because Peter Hayne was Secretary of State for Wales, and when I was involved in Wales Rally GB okay. in two thousand and one, two, three, uh, as the um, as a project director for that event for three years, and again that event was controlled by ISC, so that. Well, that's where that relationship started. So, um, yeah, so Peter and I knew each other from that time because Peter was a big interest in motorsport. Oh, right, yes. And, and we, met, we met each other in, in Wales for Wales Rally GB. So when Peter was appointed uh, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, the timing couldn't have been better. Uh, yes. He took up the position of Secretary of State. Uh, one of the first phone calls he got was from me. <laughs> so, right, we, we need your help here. 
Yeah. So Congratulations on all that, but. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But however, there is a but. Yeah. So it was really fantastic because Peter knew Max Mosley quite well. Oh, right. uh, Max, of course, was the president of the FIA at that time. And I'll never forget uh, the time when we just didn't know if all the effort and all the budget spent so far would actually bear fruit to bring this event to Ireland. We, we, we'd, we'd outlaid a lot of, lot of the funding from the government in the candidate events mm -hmm. to bring it to a certain level where we were going to get a go or no go from the FIA. And I never forget, I was um, privy to be in, in, in the FIA headquarters in Place de la Concorde at the meeting where this was being decided at this, this um, World, Rally, World Rally Commission meeting. And they were deciding the calendar for the following year. And Mosley was chairing the meeting and he had to go outside and take a phone call. Yeah. And the phone call was from Peter Hain. Okay. And Peter Hayne basically said to him, look, we really need this rally for, you know, for political reasons. Yes. And of course, Max, being a, um, from a political background himself, kind of understood it, bought into it, came back into the room. He said, we need Ireland on this calendar. Uh, I just, my jaw dropped. I just couldn't yes. believe it. So we were in. We were mm -hmm. in at that point. But had it not been for the phone call from Peter, it wouldn't have happened. Right. And then Max became a huge supporter of the event. Mm -hmm. And was there for the for the opening ceremony in in two thousand and seven. Yeah. And like, what a way to start, wasn't it? Two thousand and seven. Like, even the lead up to that event, like Galway got a bounce out of it because Grundholm come, Donegal, Loeb come, Cork, uh, the M Sport and Citroen both were over. Like, the interest this generated, this was bringing the sport back to the level it was back in the the mid eighties. It was just unbelievable, wasn't it? To to see. That's right. The, the the determination by the works teams to make sure that they come to the, the start run in Sligo best prepared that they could be to take on the roads. Sure. sure. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It gave them the opportunity um to, to do the other events first. Mm -hmm. Sure. And and that then like you didn't even you know you probably made things as difficult as possible. Having to transport all the cars from Sligo up to Belfast to start in Stormont. You know, the, the, there was going to be somewhere, Enniskelm, Sligo, wherever to have that start. But no, you know, take it up to, you know, a, a hugely political statement like Stormont to show that this was all about the, the political, the, the tourism. Everything was all brought together for that ceremonial start. It was a, a brilliant idea. Yeah, it was it was a great idea, but not without its logistical nightmares, uh -huh. as you rightly say. We did the scrutineering of all the cars. The base was in the Rally HQ was in Sligo, mm -hmm. in Sligo IT. Um, but then we had to transport transport all the rally cars from Sligo over to Stormont mm -hmm. um, in in the afternoon. Get ready for the nighttime ceremonial start and super special stage up there, and then get them back from there back over to Sligo for the start of the rally proper the next day. Mm -hmm. So the Boland's Andrew and, Aim and Eamon Boland were fantastic supporters okay. with their NVD transporters. They got 14 of their transporters laid on um, um, and donated them to as a part of sponsorship for the rally okay. yes. with, with 14 drivers to, uh -huh. to, to bring the whole, the whole um, field right over to, um, 
from from Sligo over to uh, Stormont uh-huh. in, in one go. So this convoy left Sligo. Um, Aidan Harper had organized the whole convoy mm-hmm. and he got the guard the to hand over to the PSNI, to the police for service in Northern Ireland yes. and on Belcoo Bridge. Mm-hmm. So that a police escort or guard the escort over to over to Belcoo mm-hmm. and a police escort for the rest of the way over to Stormont and vice versa then yes. the way back. Uh-huh. So to get that kind of coordination was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then we got Air Aaron came to the came came to uh, help us with uh, or sorry s- s- sorry uh, yeah Aaron came to help us with the um, uh, transportation of all the drivers. Okay. By by, by aircraft. So we all went over by air uh-huh. from Slough over to Stormont and back again. So, uh-huh. yeah, so it was, it was a very special, uh, a very mm-hmm. special uh, logistical exercise. Yeah. And like, you know, we had, you know, as they've become officially known, the Chuckle Brothers, you know, <laughs> Ian Paisley and Martin McGuinness. That's know, right. Two years previous to this, like, we've been on here, love, they've been appeared together, but there they were, you know, meeting Max Mosley. You know, it was just, such an occasion i think you know it's going to be one of the other yeah. things going to look we're going to look back in a few years time and realize the significance of it really yeah i mean i'm hugely privileged again here in my office i've got i've got an autographs of on a rally ireland poster on my wall of of martin mcginnis and ian paisley mm-hmm. uh, both of them sadly both sadly have have passed on at this time but they were just great supporters and of course, Max was delighted to meet with them and they were to have a private audience for about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. About an hour and 15 minutes later, Max came out beaming with the laughing at the the the, the stories that were told uh, yes. be, between the three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this didn't suit me at all because the timetable was now getting shoved further backwards and backwards because Princess Anne was waiting in the wings to come in for the ceremonial start of the rally. Okay, yes. Princess Anne couldn't be in the same building as Martin McGuinness. So we yes. had to get we had to get Martin out of the out of the castle. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, off the premises before Princess Anne could come in. So Princess Anne came in then and she performed the opening ceremony for the flagged off the, the first few cars on the event. Uh-huh. And she was a charming lady. Absolutely gorgeous lady. And, uh, you know, was there that night. It was a cold night, but yet uh-huh. she was there, braved it out, and was interested and in, introduced her to all the drivers and so on. So, yes. yeah, she, she gave us a great, great send off and a great start to the event. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, unfortunately, the Waller probably didn't play ball, but even still, the, you know, the, the helicopter shots showing Ireland, it was just superb to watch, wasn't it? Like it's, it, really, uh, it really sold it from a tourism perspective. Uh, there were some fabulous scenes, mm-hmm. particularly like one of the, the, the iconic scenes is around Mullockmore, Mullockmore Head and whatever, mm-hmm. and that was yeah. just gorgeous. So, yes. yeah, there were some great images mm-hmm. at that time. And, mm-hmm. and we were the we achieved the second highest audience of WRC um, just behind Finland uh, in, in that year in 2007. Uh-huh. Unbelievable, wasn't it? And then, okay. you know, you're getting the, the, the OK to go again, no name, and not only getting the OK, but to they launched the championship. To, you know, That's right. Monte Carlo was taking a year out or whatever at that time. Or, and right. to, get, to get that was such a major coup, wasn't it? True, it was. It was, yeah. Great. And, and the, you know, and the, again, to make things more complicated for yourself, a town stage, Donegal Town here, five 
kilometers away from where I'm sitting here now. Like to have the world stars going around the roads that I drive on every day was just, you know, even to this day, I still pinch myself when I see the, you know, the, the clips. Unbelievable. Like this was broadcast live across Europe. Again, we take that for granted now, but then that was groundbreaking. Yeah, for the first time in your life, Kevin, you could walk to see a stage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You, you didn't go. have to be leaving the house at four o'clock in the morning, you no, know. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Great days. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I've just, and like, what's your thoughts then on Bobby Wallace hoping to bring it back? Well, yeah, it's going to be Northern Ireland based, but wouldn't it be such a great opportunity to see it back again? Uh, it would absolutely be fabulous. And Bobby's a great friend of mine, and we, and we intertwined in our careers. Bobby was also in the Middle East when I was there as well. Mm-hmm. So we our, our kind of careers overlapped hugely all along the way. And Bobby was the man who was responsible for orchestrating that stage installment oh, when, we, okay. when we started out in 2007. That was mm-hmm. Bobby's baby, and he did a fabulous job on it. Mm-hmm. So he's a very good in-depth knowledge of, of the event. He's got very good relationships with the, with the powers that be with, with, within Northern Ireland to make this happen. And, you know, I, I would absolutely love to support him in any way I possibly can. Mm-hmm. But he's the man to do that job. Mm-hmm. If anybody can do it, Bobby can do it. He, he, he's going to be the man to move that mountain if it's going to be possible for you to move it. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So from the you know the world of World Rally Championships, he took, um, you know, in some ways a small step, but in other ways a massive step to Formula One. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he left Sligo to become the clerk of the course for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in 2009. Was this through your connections in the Middle East or how did this come about? Oh, well, well, of course it was, yeah. But it wasn't just that kind of step, Kevin. If you go back a few years, I actually ended up, um, as well as co-driving for Mohammed Min Salem, Mohammed became the president of his national sporting authority down in the UAE. Okay. And therefore had control over a number of events down there. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, um, he and I dovetailed a lot together and I ended up running... Um, couple of events like the Abu Dhabi Desert Challenge Rally, which is a round of the world championship for cross-country rallies. So I ran that for him for a good number of years. I've probably run that for the last 27, 28, 28 years. But um, uh, so so I cut my teeth in the organization of events down there and kind of built up my my experience and credibility and got to know the region very well. And Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, then along came the advent of the Formula One coming to UAE. Mm-hmm. And because Mohammed was the president of his ASN, the National Sporting Authority there, he had the, the um, power, if you like, to, or should I say, the, the mandate from the FIA to run this Formula One Grand Prix as the organizer, as the sporting organizer. Okay. Now, he could have gone for, you know, maybe farming it out to another team to someone else around the world who had experience or whatever mm-hmm. but he said look we have enough experience here and we go it on our own okay. so so it was a mammoth task um so we, we we could put our heads together i moved permanently down to uh to uae in i think february 2009 to prepare for the event which was happening in november of that year so we'd have big mountain to climb. We had a lot to learn, um, but 
uh, we built up a team uh, there. We, we built up a team of about 350 people. Uh, we probably imported about another 350 people to run this race and um, all under my jurisdiction as the clerk of the course. Uh, so it was, it was a very, uh, say, challenging time for me personally mm-hmm. because I had so much to learn. Yeah. But it was just hugely rewarding. It was really great fun. It was very uh, satisfying. It was a big challenge, but we, we, we kind of met the challenge. Mm-hmm. So that was my first, uh, I suppose, baptism of fire into Formula One. Then as the years went on, we gradually reduced the number of people that we would invite in from outside to help us run the race. And within three years, we were completely self-sufficient. We did a huge amount of training and mentoring and, uh, you know, just building up the team uh, in, in a very cohesive way. So I was very proud after three years to be able to run it on our own completely, which we did. And to this day, the event runs. Uh, last December, I was there running the, the 12th edition of that race. And uh, we still got some great people there mm-hmm. uh, to, to, as the core team who were there 12 years ago, mm-hmm. actually still running that event. So, yeah, it's, uh, uh, and, and, you know, you, people ask, often ask how you come you made the transition from rally to race or mm-hmm. vice versa. In fact, the same principles apply. Okay. You know, it's still motorsport. Yes. A lot of the regulations are, are similar. Mm-hmm. The, the basics are the same. And it's all about teamwork and it's all about managing people, managing a team mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, trying to achieve the goals in the best way possible. Yeah. So um, it wasn't you know, that different. And like Formula One has probably gone even beyond sport now at this stage. Like it's a, it's a phenomenon. Like, and, it, you know, whenever the camera, that red light comes on and them cameras beaming around the world, you just have to be at the top of your game. You know, you've you done the same with it as you've done with Rally Iron. You've shown initiative. You're running, you know, running stage or rather races that starting in the evening, going into into darkness. You know, you have yeah. you're having the fireworks going off, all this kind of thing. You know, it's 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 lifting it to another level. It's be, becoming more of a spectacle as well. Sure, sure. I mean, the 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 promoters are fantastic down there in in Abu Dhabi and always had. Um, in fact, another friend of mine and friend of Irish motorsport, Richard Cregan was the from from Maynooth here in Ireland um, he was the uh, the the chief executive officer of the promoter down there in Abu Dhabi when I was there so we dovetailed in very well because Richard um, organized all the promotion side I just organized the sporting side okay. so it was it was great the way we were able to work together to to achieve the same goal as two two paddies down there running the show yes but uh, yeah, so we had this great understanding and good camaraderie between us, and which which really, uh, I suppose, made it hugely successful. Mm-hmm. But it was Richard who would have organised all the promotional end of it. I provided all the marshals, the, the 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 medical team, the recovery teams, the scrutineering teams, and so on to make all this happen. Yes, uh-huh. and as you say, like it's a huge undertaking, and to bring it together every year and to run it slick and smooth. It's probably there's probably is obviously going to be wee things that are going to crop up from time to time, but it seems to be such a, a slick operation. It is, yeah. It's you know, as I say, like you, after twelve years, you'd, you'd certainly wanted to be slick. Mm-hmm. You know, you would have ironed out all the issues. But you're right. Every single year and every hour of every day, there's always some other issue. Something happens. Mm-hmm. You've got to correct it, and you've just got to be positive and move on. 
Um, but the main thing is, as you rightly say, once the, the greater TV audience doesn't see all the hiccups behind the scenes, then you kind of, you kind of, you, you, you make it. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, you know, you say now you're like, not just doing the, the Grand Prix, that you're so much other involvement, like that whole area now, that whole region has become very significant now in world motorsport, you know, the Formula One rally raids, Dakar rally, Extreme yeah. E was on last weekend. It, it, it must be very exciting to be involved in all that and seeing all that taking place now. Yeah, it's amazing the way the region has developed. When I started out there, as we said, in, in the in the late 80s or mid 80s, there was nothing, there was only rallying. There was mm -hmm. not, no other form of motorsport. There were no racetracks. Uh, there was no, not even cross-country rallies. There was just normal rallies across, across uh, hard tracks. Now it's developed hugely and it's a hotbed for motorsport uh, within the world. And of course, Saudi Arabia are coming on stream now in a big way and they've got big budgets to attract big events and, and are doing so and are very active. And they see the opportunity that motorsport brings to their country. Yeah, and like, you know, to have that and to have the, the money, yes, is great, but like, there obviously must be a great love for motorsport in the area as well. You know, to want to do that as well, there must be enthusiasm as well. You know, money's great, but you need the enthusiasm, you need the people on the ground too to, to make sure. things happen as well. Too, so. sure. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know there's, there's certainly good enthusiasm there and also great knowledge of the sport. Okay. People are becoming much more aware of what the sport is all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I suppose we should mention Saeed Al-Hajjari come over here to Ireland and done a few events back in the 80s as well too, you know, so that was you know, a, a great coup as well at the time, you know, so. Yeah, and he enjoyed them immensely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Certainly did, had a great time. Yeah, and then 2017, you, you decided to go back to back to school, I suppose, you know, yeah, and studied a Masters in Motorsport. What, what was the thinking behind that? And, he chose the University of Ulster. Yes. Yeah. Um, qu quite simple, really, Kevin. Um, developed a great friendship with um, uh, Professor David Hassan from, from Ulster University, who actually helped us a lot in Rally Ireland. And he did, he, he um, carried out an economic impact study for Rally Ireland on behalf of the university. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And he, we, we got to know each other quite well. And he did say to me, he said, look, he said, there's, there's a, a degree in you, you know, there's because, of, because of your knowledge, mm -hmm. he said you should really transfer your knowledge to in, in written form and, and try and, and we mold something from it. So I was made an application to the university uh, to follow up on this master's degree course. And luckily I was accepted um, to do it. Um, but it, it, I found it very difficult because, as you rightly say, go back to school after such a long time out of school mm -hmm. wasn't easy. So it took me about three and a half years to put together this thesis, mm -hmm. um, which which evolved for me on um, on on the competency framework for motorsport officials. Okay. Uh, so it was very interesting the way it turned out, and I really enjoyed it at the end. It's a very rewarding thing to do. So. I have huge thanks to him to for pushing me to do this and encouraging me all along the way. Mm -hmm. And he was my he was the 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 my my mentor, if you like, all yes. along that journey. Mm -hmm. But of course, I was doing it remotely because I was in UAE at the time, and yeah. I 
is coming back up here to try and do some some sessions here. So it wasn't it wasn't too easy, but we got there at the end. Brilliant, brilliant. And I suppose we could start wrapping things up now. But like going back to your early career, you know, um, like one of the events that jumps out at me is the uh, the rally sprint and Hitachi rally sprint back in yeah. the, the late seventies. You know, even then. You know, you had Hannah Mickle, Pinty Rickle, and a, a Formula One star again, Derek Daly at the time. The, mm -hmm. You were mixing it with them. You know, right from the get-go, you had ambitions that you wanted to go places. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was very, very ambitious and very driven. And and in, in those days, it was just great. But mm -hmm. that that Nagavana Rally Sprint was amazing. That again was way before its time. And yeah. um, again, the brainchild of Norbert Riley, I think, and and. Uh, and the County Kildare Motor Club, mm -hmm. they put that together between them. And to attract such stars, absolutely amazing. And again, just made for TV. Mm -hmm. And it was a great TV spectacle. Yes. So to have that now would be just amazing. Mm -hmm. So why it was never kind of replicated, I don't know. But it was just a great... Uh, it happened a couple of times, a couple of years on the, in a row as far as I recall. Mm -hmm. But that particular year you're talking about when you had all the stars there, including Derek Daly and Hanu and 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 Ari and or sorry and, and Penty as well. Yeah. So it was really, really good fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. So like you know, at that age, you know, you were about 21, 22. Like yeah. had like if you could back and talk to yourself then now, is there anything you would do different? Or you just enjoyed yeah, it? The biggest, the biggest regret I have, Kevin, is not keeping a record of everything I did. Okay. I suppose when I started out in the sport at such a young age, I had a massive interest in the sport since I was about seven or eight years of age. Okay. When I started competing, I kind of said, well, look, I'll try this for a while. And when you're that age, you don't really know what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you didn't know, will it be of interest to me? Will it be, will I keep going at this? Will I have the opportunity? Will I be good enough? And so maybe it's something that, you know, you mightn't continue for your whole career. Mm -hmm. Little did I know that I could possibly dream of becoming a professional co-driver. Mm -hmm. Never mind making a lifelong living out of the sport, which I still am today. Yes. And uh, to, to, I suppose, be... Uh, I just didn't have the vision to keep a record of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, so... The, so the regret I have is not not documenting just very simply one line, mm -hmm. the, the date, the event, yeah. the driver, the car, and the result. That's yes. all I would have needed uh -huh. to give me a full history of what I've done through my career. Mm -hmm. And sadly, I don't have that. No. But, um, you know, there's different records which you have looked up, I think, on different websites. And, and I've got a pretty good idea of what I did. But mm -hmm. I couldn't, I can't remember the minutia of all the different events, of all the night navigation rallies I did and all the different stage rallies I did mm -hmm. and where I was and at the time. But I know I did lots and lots of events over the over the young years to build, yes. up, my, build up my experience and to... Um, just satisfied the raw passion that I had at the time. Mm -hmm. And of course, you'd no regard for, for much, not much regard for safety or whatever. You just win and in you get, doesn't matter what the car was like and whatever. And then go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. But now, thankfully, we, we do have some great advice for people starting off in the sport mm -hmm. from the safety aspect of what, what, what can be done and what should, should not be done. Uh, so it's a there's 
I'm all in favor of young people becoming involved in this fabulous sport. And I often say, if anybody ever gets maybe 10% of the enjoyment I've got out of it, they're going to have a fab fabulous time being involved in the sport. But luckily, we've got great, great uh, initiatives from Motorsport Ireland and from the FIA to encourage young people to become involved. And we've got the pathways for them to make sure that they 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 stay on the right track and got advice and mentorship for all mm -hmm. these people. So it's great now compared to what it was when I started out. Yeah, there's kind of a ladder almost now for of progression now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely okay. there is, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you'd encourage anybody who's starting out to make sure that they, you know, they get involved with Motorsport Ireland with all their with all their um, facilities. Absolutely, absolutely. And like, you know, you've talked there, you know, like Austin McHale, you're still in contact, you know, Billy Coleman, you're still you know, right. you've made lifelong friends from the sport as well. Oh, no question. That's, you know, that just shows you, you know, it's not, you know, it's, yes, it's a sport, it's fun and all that, but you have, you have friends now that you'll have friends for life out of it that you met 40, 50 years ago. Oh, no question. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, Ronan, on, I think on that point, I think we'll wrap it up and I appreciate you taking the time to join us and it's been fascinating to hear the stories. Thanks, Kevin. That was a pleasure. Thank you very much. That was Ronan Morgan and myself. Kevin Clinton, Token Rally. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what he did, could you please like and share across all social media platforms? And if you're listening to that Apple podcast, if you could please rate the podcast, it would be gratefully appreciated. Until the next time, take care, speak soon now, and bye bye.